We need new chairs. These are slippery. They're slippery chairs. <laughs> um, I'm here with Andrew Willard Jones, and we're talking to you today because it's Black Friday. And we all love Black Friday, don't we, Just? Oh, yeah. I like the videos that tend to come. I don't know. In, in an Amazon world, I don't know if we're still going to get the videos of people like like uppercutting clerks to get out of the store with a, with a TV or something. It just seems like maybe, maybe it's too virtual for that kind of, um, yeah. Spectacle. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like where the real world comes breaking through the consumerism and it's upsetting to everyone. And so of course the forces that be must, must yeah. eliminate that. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, no, all that, all that envy and, and desire for power is supposed to just be like you at your computer screen now. Like, well, there's a real lack of efficiency when you see all the energy that's being exerted by those people at Walmart. Right. And all that, that like drive and con- it's like, somehow there's some value that has to be scraped off on all that. You don't just let that play oh my out. Gosh. So the, do you wow. see what I'm saying? I do. See That's what you're waste. Saying. The market That's has efficiently has, dealt it, has, with black it, Friday. It has done it. Well, it's been crazy because <laughs> it's been crazy because the, the, what, what I've been noticing, I mean, everyone's noticed this. It's, it's almost embarrassing to even talk about black Friday with a straight face, but I've been noticing that it's completely ubiquitous now. Like we all know that it means nothing, but we still have to undergo it as a ritual. So like the, the, there's sites that say things like this month, every day is Black Friday, right, right? Right. Or like Amazon has like its Amazon Prime days. Or just which, Black Friday whenever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all when it is. It's just that the imperative to consume happens when they tell you to consume. You know, I remember the first time I heard the word, the term Black Friday, because at some point in my childhood, I became aware that people went shopping the day after Thanksgiving, that that was like a thing, but it didn't get its name until like 20 years ago, maybe. Really? Oh yeah. Like people didn't call it Black Friday. I mean, it was just like shopping after Thanksgiving. And then, and then the first time I heard it, I thought Black Friday, is that like when like a bunch of Irishmen got killed by British soldiers or something? I, I honestly, that's what I thought, which I think. Yeah, it has, it has that it, vibe. Like Black Friday sounds yeah. like a massacre that occurred in history at some point, you know? <laughs> And, and I, I assumed it had to do with Northern Ireland. <laughs> is that like a black and tan? I, well, I think there's like Black Sunday or something, which is... Bloody Sunday. Or yeah. Bloody yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, I mean, it, that's that was, the, that was the connection that my mind went to when I first heard it. But it's actually, that's not actually totally a, a, a off the mark, right? Because it's a weird, ironic thing that we as a culture call this day, uh, the slang for it is something that means evil. Right. Right. Like when we say Black Friday, the irony is it's horrible. Right. 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 Like that's what that means. Well, and, and, and <laughs> with, with due respect to the normal processes by which these things happen, it is because black is the color of profits in the like like it, mean, it means you're doing well. Like they're in the red. Okay, see, so this bad, is one of the origin right? stories. Right. Okay, so I, I've heard this. I've heard this, but I've heard other ones that were it comes from. Um, that it began with the retail workers okay. and that Black Friday, it was their slang for the day after Thanksgiving because it was a horrible day to work. Oh. And then it went out from there. But then I've also heard like, the, you know, the, the, the debits and credits, whatever accounting, you go in the black. I, I, you know, so. No, you know what? That sounds, your version sounds so much more likely. First of all, <laughs> the, I can think of three reasons why it's way more likely. First of all, um, corporate slang never catches on. Mm-hmm. So if it is corporate slang, yeah, like management slang. Yeah, management's yeah. like we're gonna call this thing Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like no, oh my gosh, no. can you imagine the degree of servility if we really picked that up from? But all the college workers working at Bed Bath oh. and Beyond, totally. 
Yeah. Well, but then, <laughs> I almost wonder though that it's not even dark enough. Like, well, maybe there were multiple. I, I think there's probably a Darwinian situation here where there are probably a lot of different curses on it, mm-hmm. and this one was just the one that was acceptable enough to actually make it into mainstream because you would be censored for. for... Somebody should write a dissertation on this. <laughs> You can write your <laughs> guys. You can write your dissertation on anything. Yeah. yeah. Just make a long title. Get into an American Studies program. Write your dissertation on Black Sun on Black Sunday. No, Black, Black Friday. Sunday. Oh, yeah. You're already getting there. You're already getting to a sort of anti-Sabbath. Yeah. Black Sabbath. That's that's where we're going here, isn't it? Um, I don't know yet. I'm okay. open to the flow of ideas. I'm in the marketplace of ideas here. Whatever <laughs> oh, happens, no. I'm just pulled along by the evidence. I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm a neutral observer. I barely even think. My Catholicism is just me thinking things are true, and it's the accumulation of all this true things happen to be Catholicism. Wow. You cool. didn't know that about me. Yeah. No, I'm I a... think I kind of perceived that. <laughs> then Something like that. <laughs> anyway, so we, um, in celebration of this event, the Blackest of Fridays, um, we... We're reading a awesome article that was in issue is in issue three of New Polity, which you should subscribe, um, by William Cavanaugh, who's smarter than us, smarter than me. I don't know if he's smarter. He's than smarter you. than me, okay. that's for sure. Smarter than us, and he is. He has gone through this whole post-liberal thing. He was post-liberal before it was cool to be post-liberal. Way before, and he. Um, so we're. we're I find myself reading books by him and, and realizing that the things I think are not unique. They're just, I just didn't realize it was... Someone else had already written it. Exactly. Yeah, right. Which is, you know... That's actually a nice thing to discover. Well, it means you're not crazy. Exactly. Uh... I know. It can be at first disappointing, but then you have to flip that around. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm basically as smart as Kierkegaard because he said something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's the correct way to take that. So Kavanaugh wrote, <laughs> Kavanaugh wrote this uh, this brilliant piece. And what it is, it's a it's a... It's a, I'm not going to say takedown because he's very charming, really, but it's a critique. It's a charming takedown. It's a charming takedown of Charles Taylor. Uh, Say that five times fast. Um, And in it, um, Kavanaugh takes up a kind of central point of Taylor's book, Secular Age, where um, Taylor wants to say that we live in an age that's fundamentally distinct from, from ages prior to us. So we live in a disenchanted world, a world without magic, a world without... Um, oh, to cut to it, it's basically a world in which um, the sacred, uh, with God in particular, is an option, mm-hmm. right? But which is not necessarily um, a naive belief. Um, so a belief that you, he doesn't mean naive in a bad way, but mm-hmm. naive belief in the sense of you wake up in the morning and kind you, of unreflective. God is real, right? God right. is real in how you shop. God is real in how you walk. God is, you don't think about it. You don't argue for it. Um, God is real and he affects you. And, and that's just what life is. In fact, you know, Taylor would probably even say as much as like, you can only even talk about your belief being naive once your belief is not naive. Like, you... Yeah, that's right. So even the belief in God be- is, is not naive in the secular age because what he calls the social imaginary, mm-hmm. which is that place you're, you're talking about, the place you wake up in yeah. and get out of your bed into, yeah. is, is a, a, a world that lacks the transcendent. Mm-hmm. So if you choose to have God, you're you're unnaive in your God, your your God belief. Right, exactly, and that right. and that's the fundamental difference. That's what makes us moderns different from everyone else is that we live in a world of optionality. Is what he calls it. Um, so even yeah, even belief in God, even the priest offering the Eucharist at the Mass is doing it as an option um, that he could otherwise not do. Even if he thinks like he's totally convicted, he's still aware and acts. Um, 
in a world in which he could think it's all false. Right. Um, and so that's the fundamental difference. And what Kavanaugh wants to do is kind of kick back on this a little bit. And what he points to is um, the idea that we might be misrecognizing our world is the term he uses. And by this, um, if I can just say it, I think what he means is um, that we might be looking at a world and saying that, oh, we have um, an option to believe or not believe. But what Kavanaugh says is, yeah, but that world, right, that um, being kind of condemned to see things as an option is not itself optional. Right. You have to live in that world. Um, and so if that's the case, if, if you want to put it this way, if optionality is like the new orthodoxy or at the very least the new social imaginary, right, then it becomes a little silly to say that <laughs> you can't say we have the option for optionality. Right, because you don't. If you if you if you opt for unoptionality, mm -hmm. then you're a religious fanatic nut job. Right. So what we actually have, <laughs> what we actually have, is a naive belief in optionality. We have a naive belief that the Christian God is basically irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That 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 feels, and so it's like you can have him or not, mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. You can have, I mean, it might matter to you, but it only matters to you in the parts of your life yeah. that don't matter. Yeah. Right? So it's it's sentimental or it, it can be some sort of like deep, personal, reflective, meditative thing or something. It can be really important to you. But the point is it's not important to the social imaginary. Right. Right. right? Otherwise, it would not be a part of it. It wouldn't be perceived as, as falling into the optionality. Right. So, so it, it, yeah. So, I mean, his point would be, I think that the 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 dichotomies or the binaries with with which Taylor constructs his story of modernity are really they're not some sort of meta uh, heuristic that allows you to analyze modernity up like over and against or next to pre modernity. Mm -hmm. They're rather just you're just describing modernity. When you describe the binaries themselves, you're describing the way modernity talks about itself. Yeah, so he says so, that, I mean, to maybe put it kind of simply, um, to say that the Christian God is irrelevant is a statement of theology. It's a right. statement about the sacred. He doesn't exist. Right. So the the idea that you are then... I mean, he doesn't exist as he reveals himself. Right. Right. So yeah. the, But then the idea that you live in this secular world then becomes a little bit absurd because you actually live in a, you know, to speak simply, you live in a highly religious world. You live in a world that claims that the Christian God is irrelevant you live in a particular a particular religious world um, right and the, and the and the very the very terms that taylor lays out which is that the religion in the broadest sense of any particular world is that social imaginary is the world that falls beneath the options that are available mm -hmm. so your religion or our religion if we're going to talk about religion in that way in modernity is sort of necessarily uh invisible to us mm-hmm Right. Or, or at least really hard to, 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 to find. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you probably go so far, only, only a Christian because he's opposed to it could really find it. Well, that's the thing, right? So, and this is where, where Kavanaugh goes is that if you assume by the end of the article, if you assume Christianity to actually be true, then Christianity puts itself or, or, or understands itself to be in a position 
to articulate what's going on in the secular age better than the secular age can articulate about itself because the secular age is wrong, mm -hmm. right? And it's wrong about like the fundamentals of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And so it, it can't describe itself well. It's, it's delusional, right? Right. Whereas a, a Christian can describe it accurately. Right. So that means that we're in a position to say it most certainly does have gods and it may not call them gods, but who cares? And it certainly has magic. And it has magic and it has sacrifice mm -hmm. and it has all of these, all of these sort of core, core constituents of religion. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's yeah. get into that because it seems <clears throat> like we are on the eve of Black Friday, which is obviously a ritual feast of some sort for this particular society because mm -hmm. it doesn't have any real logic. Again, what's being revealed in the ubiquity of Black Friday, every day is Black Friday, shows that that its significance, its meaning can't simply be its like utility. Like right. it it's always a good idea to get people to buy stuff if you live in a capitalist society. So really it's a ritual of action. It's a summing up of what we always do all the time and saying, Here's a day for doing it which is of course a very religious sentiment to use. Yeah, which is the way which is the way feasts often work, right? You know, like you, the mass, the worship of the liturgy is as a, a special case where we single out and enact what we're supposed to be doing all the time. Totally. Yeah. Right. Black Friday, the Sabbath of capitalism. I like that. That's there you cool. Go. Okay, but couldn't someone <laughs> couldn't someone push back on this and say something like, okay, yeah, you can describe Black Friday as a feast, and you can describe American culture as a particularly religious culture that just isn't aware of its own religiosity because it's sort of has this myth of optionality and secularity that pervades blah 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 but isn't it the case that no matter what you say we don't actually believe in gods the way that uh pre-christian society believes that's in just gods. wrong really because it seems uh, so, so it has some power to like in the sense of like I know. you read about people that okay they offer sacrifice to the god bell and expected results um and it, you can say, oh, well, there's a real structural analogy here to the way that... I'm not making an analogy. I'm talking straight. All I'm right, man. Straight. I'm connecting them straight. You're not even... You're so mad about it not being an analogy. You're not even letting me describe... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a trigger. You've triggered me. Oh, man. Go ahead. You, you're, he's, he's a little millennial. He just... <laughs> You just talk about analogous interpretations of uh, of culture, and he just yeah just needs a safe space. <laughs> All right, no, what I'm saying is is there's a difference between the guy that buys something on Black Friday because it's cheap. He has a real motivation, right? It's not like he thinks that you know he will be blessed or something. Hold up, and then uh, the attaining of a gift or however you want to make the analogy to a ritual or a sacrifice or whatever you're going to in the end come up upon someone who's going to say like yeah but all of this can be described without any concept of the supernatural which is what makes Great. gods okay gods. okay you want me to go yes <laughs> thank you for letting me okay so here <laughs> so here's the problem i mean there's lots of problems here but one of them is it, there's a historical reality to the the problem you're you're presenting okay okay which is that after the fall, and we, <laughs> oh, there's the history. So Thanks, in man. the beginning, no, yeah. so after the fall, and we move into the, to the age of nature, and humanity goes about building paganism, 
So we start building our gods and our temple societies and our god kings and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And we have priests and sacrifices and gods and temples. And that's where we get all those concepts, mm -hmm. right? Like that, that's where they all come from. Mm -hmm. And then you have Judaism followed by Christianity. First, let's just start with Judaism where you have the actual Lord of the cosmos descend and condescend and to say, I will be your God to this particular nation. Mm -hmm. Right. I will be and like you see how all these other nations have gods. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll be your God. Mm. Right. And you can have a temple to me. But it's not, you know, the, the temples come from the pagans. The gods come from the pagans. The priests come from the pagans. Sacrifice. The sacrifice comes from the pagans. Right. And so he's he's taking what truth is in all of that because humanity is not total de totally depraved. And there's a some aspect of our fundamental anthropology that's being that's being lived or acted out even in a perverted way in all that pagan paganness. And he's entering into that and elevating it past itself into the truth, which is the actual Lord God of the cosmos. OK, once that occurs, there's. You, we, we're never going to go back and say now, now when we say gods, little G gods in our minds, we think, oh, they're kind of like little weak versions of God. Mm. Right. But it's like, no, it's the other way around. Like God is not a God. The Lord God is not a God. The gods are these pagan things. Yeah. Right. And, and so you, we, but, but because of that, the words have been forever annihilated, mm. right? Like we're never going to call, I mean, as long as we have any lingering memory of Christianity, we're not going to start calling the forces that dominate our lives, the forces that we're afraid of, the forces that are bigger than us and that we placate mm -hmm. in the hope of rewards mm -hmm. um, and to try to avoid punishment. We're not going to call those forces gods. Right. We're not going to call the way that we worship them worship. Right. We're not going to call but that. But that's because Christianity has appropriated and undone all that terminology. But that terminology comes originally from the pagans. So it's to, it's not some sort of analogy for us to reassign it to a neo-pagan regime. It's actually m more accurate, mm. right? It's at, the analogy is when we assign it to Christianity, right? Right. So it, it's I mean that's where the that's where the analogy is in play. So uh, when I call the market a god, I mean that in an un analogous way. I mean that like. It is a God, and I mean, I mean the Lord God Jesus Christ. When I call Him God, that's that's my analogy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't mean to be just like splitting hairs here, but I actually think it's meaningful. I mean, I think that that understanding that. Well, no, absolutely, because because it, it my bad. Um, it seems to be the case that what you look for when you look for the God of America, the God of capitalism, the God of you know, communism, whatever it is, is something like Jesus and something like um, well, God as he's revealed. This himself. is the, one of the problems with this. And, we'll, and Kavanaugh points this out with Taylor is that he, he wants to define religion mm -hmm. as having to do with the transcendent. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, paganism doesn't have to do with the transcendent. Right. I mean, like in paganism, the gods are not transcendent. Mm hmm. They are they are in the same cosmos mm -hmm. as man. Yeah, that's why they can reproduce. And, and they're forces to be reckoned with in our cosmos. Right. And so, to to say we live in a world where we where we've uh, made the transcendent optional is just to say we're not Christian anymore, right? And and so it's like okay, well if we if that that seems ba basically true, mm -hmm. right? So if we're going to define then religion as lingering Christianity. 
mm-hmm. right? Or like places where we see people who are behaving in ways that are somewhat reminiscent of Christianity, mm-hmm. but the whole point is that it doesn't matter socially. Then we're talking about a pagan regime. Okay. Right. So in a pagan regime, I'm doing that summative thing where I worry about whether people understand you. So I try to say it oh, again. F- good, good. Fine. I don't I don't, I don't understand everything I just said. So go, please. <laughs> it happens, explain, it happens that are remarkable. Okay. In, <laughs> in, in pagan regimes. So in, let's just say in man seeking after God without grace mm-hmm. in that thing that has happened before. Happens and, everywhere. And, Jesus is eclipsed. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, you are, transcendence is limited really to the transcendence over you. That's right. Yeah. So the transcendent. Saint yeah, Paul says right. he says uh, whatever overcomes a man that is which enslaves him. That's so, exactly right. So yeah. the relationship to God, lower G, is fundamentally different than the relationship to God, capital G, as he's been revealed. Right. And that lower G God is need not have any of that reminiscence of the actually transcendent supernatural that we talk about now. Um, it need not have any, it, it doesn't even need to remind people of that. It can literally just be power over. Power right. over is sufficient to have the experience of what people once called gods. I think that when you really reduce it in the pre-Christian, so the, including Judaism, okay, so the whole sort of pre-biblical yeah. economy of salvation, that um, power itself is the divine. So the experience of power is the experience of divinity. Yeah, and there, and there can be different levels of naivete in terms of one's relationship to the divine power, mm-hmm. um, which I think is where the confusion comes in because there's people that believe that attribute to forces that all really do have power over them, things that are beyond what we consider like the natural world. And so that kind of uh, delusion that's born of fear Mm-hmm. becomes, as it were, like, oh, well, they're doing the same thing that we do with God. Maybe I know, they're... but that's the, that's, that's the problem, right? Yeah. One of the problems is this, is this and, and, and Taylor falls into this, I'm afraid, is where he wants to see somehow more similarity between ancient paganism and Christianity than between ancient paganism and modernity mm-hmm. and the secular age, mm-hmm. right? So like they're, the, the, what ancient paganism and Christianity have in common is that they're religious somehow, right? right? And that we're not. Right. right. But that, but that's a problem. So Christianity is an exception. Christianity is unique. Christianity is not like the way all other power structures and systems of worship and sacrifice in the entire history of humanity have ever functioned. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and if you believe that it is, and if you treat it sociologically, like it's just another type within this genus of, of religion, then you're just, you're, you, you, you've, 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 stated your conclusions in the posing of the question, right? Like you just don't believe Christianity is true. Right. Right. Which, which is to just be secular, you know, <laughs> I guess, or to be pagan. Right. So yeah, you, you, you have to, you have to allow for if Christianity is true, then if we give up Christianity, then what we will build will have potentially, I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily the case, but if everything that Christianity says about itself is true, then we descend back into our fallen condition and we have some experience of what that looks like. Right. So like we, we can, we can go back and look and see how it operated and, and, and then see if that's those same mechanisms are operating now. 
Mm-hmm. But to compare it to Christianity is, uh, you know, as some sort of religious, non-religious uh, binary is just to totally misunderstand the historical analysis, I think. So so let's look at what we had before. It seems like what we had prior to the biblical revelation is um, some men's power over others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had usually um, the... Uh, men who were considered as either gods or as having some kind of participation in the divine Mediating. to the extent that they were utterly unlike other men. Yeah. Um, so the kings priests. and the priests of um, the ancient Near East. Who are people, either gods themselves or the mediators of divine power. Right, exactly. Right. They're sons of gods or, right, or something whatever, like that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And what I think is unique is that when you look at the Bible and if you read the Bible as being what reveals these things to be false rather than like another version of it somehow. Right. Um, then you see in the stories of the Old Testament, the structures of the naive pagan world revealed in, in this new light. That's right. One of the stories I like the most, just because it's, it's pretty rad, is uh, Daniel and the priests of Bel. And this is, it sounds like, when you read it as a Christian, it just seems kind of like a almost quaint but it would have been just mind blowing, you know, as an actual deconstructing uh, story. Um, basically, everyone um, in the kingdom is really impressed by this god Bell because he eats so much food. They bring him their food, and it disappears overnight. And they're like, "Wow, we have a great god. This god is big. He's a big boy." <laughs> and uh, and and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Yeah, Daniel. Um, is similarly impressed Mm -hmm. and daniel says hey that's not a god (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, by which he means it has no real power over you right it's not something special or 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 different in that way um and the king is like of course it's a god and then daniel shows through some various contrivances that no not no it's not even various he he shows that there's a trap door beneath this idol bell that the priests exit or enter into the temple at night and they take all the food and they feed their families right. and they keep, they keep the excess and they store it. Uh, and this is what's actually happening, which when you're living in a Christian sort of world, the world after the Christian bomb, you're like, yeah, of course, of course that's what was happening. There's no real power over other men. There's just contrivance. There's, well, there is real power. Sorry. The power is real. Yeah, the power is That's real. That's what we need to talk about. Right, exactly. Sorry, I, I misspoke. Yeah. <laughs> Classic error. What the story of Daniel reveals is not just that uh, the idol is an illusion and a mere nothingness, um, but also that there is a class of priests that are cynical. So they understand that they are deluding people, mm-hmm. right? Their belief in the god cannot be genuine right um probably well they could be deluded in the sense that they could believe that the god needs them to do this for his power that he's that they're like servants of the god and this is what they're i mean they're they're cynical no doubt about it right but that they're kind of giving the god teeth because he needs their help sure yeah yeah which is one of the christian arguments against the existence of gods is that they seem to need so much they need, help. They need help. Yeah, they need so much help. Yeah. It's funny how their helpers are often so rich. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what I see in this description, this Jewish description of a pagan practice, right, mm-hmm. 
is something that is immediately relevant to our discussion of the pagan um, ritual of Black Friday, such as it is. Mm -hmm. Namely that it's no argument against its sort of religiosity to say that there is cynicism. Right. Right. To simply say, hey, it can't be religion because these people, the wealthy, the, the people selling the goods, whatever it is, know that it's really just another day at the market, right? Discounting some goods. It's all, it's all very. It's uh, like you're just describing paganism. Exactly. That's my point. That, that it's that's like really it's like yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the pagans. That's what paganism is. Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean? There's a cynical class that yeah, knows that, that like, what they're doing is amassing power. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Right, but that, but that, that goes right at the whole like fundamental relativism that in the in the study of comparative religions right that they're all kind of different versions of the same thing that's what you have to do away with and then you can say this then we can say yeah paganism is 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 a religious thing it's an anti-religion i guess and and it's cynical and manipulative and uh dishonest mm -hmm. right? which then in turn having that discussion revealed through the scriptures uh allows you to then turn and look at our own culture and not be like we have this problem, I think, as Catholics, in that we have this like underlying conflict where we're wondering about nature and supernature. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at and when we have this description of God that so has enlivened our life, then we we just we just are prone to deny that there's really something religious going on and something that isn't like obviously connected to jesus christ and the god he reveals which is right. good right that's like an achievement of christianity that we can no longer be so easily deluded. i know but then you just have to stop for a minute and just think about something as fundamental as the mass yeah. it's like the work of human hands mm -hmm. you know bread and wine mm -hmm. are being are the vehicles for the most intimate union of man and god possible i mean it's like the, the whole logic of catholicism is is precisely that there is no divide between these things mm -hmm. i mean that that it by rights god permeates all of it mm -hmm. his grace animates all of the eminent order mm -hmm. right so there is no i mean regardless of whether how we want to theoretically dis, dis, distinguish between nature and grace in order for our sort of obtuse scholastic arguments like the the fact of the matter is it doesn't even matter what side you kind of fall on that on those arguments the fact is that in a properly Christian order, grace permeates all of it, mm -hmm. right? You know, so so it's the the idea. I mean, I, I know you're right, but we, we as as late modern Christians, we've basically just adopted the modern notion of nature as being this self sufficient realm that doesn't require God, that runs on its own, and that runs really in a way that is not somehow fallen right right like it runs according to its proper rules right so so by by taking that idea of nature um we are really even more unable to recognize pagan religion when it rears its head that's right because we assume that it that somebody operating within the natural world and doing sort of natural things things everyone does things that don't involve prayer or right. or the invisible or god himself name by name that all of this must be de facto something separate from um su the supernatural right right but what you're saying is if i'm understanding you right is that catholicism really obliterates that distinction it doesn't obliterate it but it but it it says that grace is always operative that everything is 
um, either saying yes to grace or saying no to grace at any moment. Yeah. And so when we look at um, our culture, it's not sufficient in the same way that's not efficient to say, hey, there's no like actual God. We're not doing the same thing as, mm-hmm. um, you know, these these pagan religious cults um, in the same way we say, oh, well, they're just dealing with money. Oh, they're just dealing with oh, yeah, uh, right. commerce and commerce is natural. And so. Yeah. If it's natural, it doesn't have anything to do with God. And if it doesn't have anything to do with God, how could it be a perverse, idolatrous ritual that you're talking about, if that makes sense? Right. That's right. Yeah. That, I think, is what we've, in in and through Kavanaugh here, gotten over. Yeah. Like, we, we can just, look at our culture. We just have to get over that. And say, no, like, everything is either orientated towards um, God as he reveals himself or to a false God. Mm-hmm. And no moment is there a world in which things operate without that fundamental reference. That's right. Yeah. And then when we look at the pagan world, um, the the pre-Judaic, pre-Christian world, um, we can say at the same time, like that we can see an imminence in those things that maybe they couldn't even see themselves. Right. Like we can see manipulation. We can see power structure. We can see men claiming um, un- undue privilege over other men. Uh, we can see the workings of sacrifice, what it actually affects, what it does in a way that's clearer to us than it would have been to them themselves. Like we can actually take that superior position. Yeah, and I, and I do think that we don't need to we don't need to become kind of Marxist materialist about it. Like the supernatural is real and the supernatural is real in pagan regimes. And I mean, there's no reason not to take St. Augustine's word for it when he says that those idols become inhabited by demons and actually have powers. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's demonic forces in play. Yeah. So it's not even, it's not even merely the sociological human sort of mechanisms of power. Those are all there, but those are really the idols. Right. I mean, the idols themselves are kind of symbols for those mechanisms of power. And those idols become inhabited by demonic forces. Let's get there. Okay. <laughs> I just don't think we're there yet. No, but I, I, I... No, I know. I know what you're saying. It doesn't like... it To have this argument is not to say, like, we can have the same argument whether or not... We can be, like, good secular moderns and yeah. understand paganism without, without... No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. Okay, right. so let's talk about then. You said that the market is a god and then we spent a long time doing a caveat on why we can say that so now having given the caveat okay there's nothing that isn't spiritual in some way the sacred is here and you don't have this kind of pre-religious optionality that the secular age has miraculously brought about you in Mm -hmm. fact have just different gods different people who take cynical versus non-cynical view of the gods but it's all still there why is the market of God? Can I have Can I have um, Hayek answer that question for us? Oh wow, the man himself, the apostle of the market. That would be appropriate. I mean, if you're going to ask someone to defend a divinity, I'll just read. I'm just going to read a couple little lines here, and then we okay. can talk about them. I yeah. think I hope I have the right ones. There's many, so this these, these will be good. The road to surf. Road to surf. Yeah. Um. All right. It was men's submission to the impersonal forces of the market. That in the past has made possible the growth of a civilization which without this could not have developed. It is by thus submitting that we are every day helping to build something that is greater than any one of us can fully comprehend. Then a little bit later in the same paragraph, he's talking about critics here. 
And it fails to see, so their criticism, fails to see that unless this complex society is to be destroyed, the only alternative to submission to the impersonal and seemingly irrational forces of the market is submission to an equally uncontrollable and therefore arbitrary power of other men. So he's actually suggesting that the power of the market is an impersonal force that we submit to and that this submission gives us goods. And if we don't submit to it, we'll lose those goods. And what happens if we don't submit to this impersonal and seemingly irrational force is that we have to choose the equally uncontrollable power of other men, some other God, mm -hmm. right? So it's either, it, this, is, this is a God, this, this force that if we, if we treat properly, and submit properly will give us rewards. Mm -hmm. And if we offend it, it will hurt us. Mm -hmm. And it, if we reject them altogether, our option is merely another, another constellation of human power, another God. Mm -hmm. But at no point does he help us understand, well, what exactly are these impersonal forces? What, like gravity? Like, are we talking about, there's a force, what, what constitutes the force that, that builds our civilizations, the force that I'm submitting to? Right. Right. And it is what you're, it's this accumulated sort of force of human wills that have been funneled into particular channels or particular structures of power. And those accumulated structures of power, which is really kind of like what Hobbes describes as the artificial man or the sovereign or these sorts of things, become, take on the nature of a god because it becomes unclear which human will directs it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's no longer directed by, by a person. It, it, it's alive. Mm. Right. But really, it's nothing other than humanity itself. Right. Acting. And, right. Right. And in that way, it really looks like a pagan god in right. the sense that the the pagan gods always gain their power through the loss of ownership and control on the individual level. So right. another way to put it is just like it always relies on slavery. Right. So this is what, again, the Bible reveals when it's talking about the idolatrous form of kingship. Mm -hmm. This is in Samuel. It goes on to describe it, and it describes the way in which kings appear to be like superhuman. Right. And it says, well, he's going to he's gonna take all of you. He's going to organize you into fifties and thousands, and he's going to take taxes and, and take your land. You will all be as slaves. Right. And that's how he will, uh, this particular man. But in this case, it's even more impersonal in the sense because... Um, there is no particular man, the market itself. But there are priests, right? I mean, there there are the 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 men who interpret the will of the god, the men who know what the god wants. Who who are those guys? Uh, it, it, I mean, for us, <laughs> economists, <laughs> uh, politicians. Yeah, you know, uh, Wall Street guys. Right. Right. The people who can say, listen, if we do this, if we give the God this, if we behave this way towards the God, he's going to reward us this way. But it's not really predictable. It's only like a probability. He's probably going to be happy if we do this. <laughs> right. But if we do this other thing, that's going to offend him. Right. right? And then he's going to hurt us. Right. But the market itself is not the people involved. The market itself is alive and, and, and make it and, and seemingly having a will. Right? right. Like whether or not it's going to accept our action as being. As, as something worthy of reward right. or whether it's not. It's, it's, and it's really ultimately unpredictable. And, and it, it goes to show that it doesn't do any good to say like, well, but we, it can't be a God because we understand it to be, in fact, just the accumulation of all these individual consumer choices. Because actually, 
what's actually the case is that some people believe that to be the oh, case. Only very few. And, most and they don't people, even really believe it. Like, right. Like they believe it's really alive too. That's why I was saying when, I, when you, when you're bringing up the priest being purely cynical yeah. and I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I meet lots of economists who really believe the market is alive and does things. That's scary. I mean, I remember, and they understand the mechanisms of the it, but they still believe it. They still believe it's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's right? bizarre. And, and I and like that, to be clear, cause in case we all need this, there's no such thing as a market. Obviously there is just people, people doing, doing things. things. <laughs> <laughs> Everything like that just must be the case, right? We're all good on that. We're good on that. And well, we can, we, if but, we want to use the word market for, to describe a certain type of activity, that's, that's probably fine. Right. And if you want to use an idol to represent the God, then you can yeah, do that too. Right. Like, right, right. My, my point, there was this, oh my gosh, who was it on Twitter that was like, um, I, what was it? I still believe in markets or something. Yeah, no, I know. Like, so sometimes like, sometimes the, the veil gets removed and you just see absolute devotion. Yeah. And I think after that, I forget who this was probably best. Cause then it would be uncharitable to like rip into, but the, uh, I think she said markets are mighty after that. Like, like but, they... but you think about, you want to talk about devotion. So you think about the way in which the American middle class yeah. is trained in the piety of the market mm -hmm. and how you behave towards it and mm -hmm. what, what kinds of things you have to do towards it in order to have the rewards that it promises you. Mm. Right. So think about the way like retirement savings work and the way, you know, these sorts of stuff that like you give these offerings and then you'll get it back. Mm. Right. Unless society as a whole is somehow offended the God and then they might go away. You might not get them. Right. 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 And so you have to, there's a whole structure, a whole deep societal structure around our behaviors towards the God that includes these sort of pietistic acts, like 10% of your income and you do this, it's a tight form of tithing, right? Like you take 10% of your income, and you put it in this account and then that'll, that, and where does it go? It actually goes into the market, right? It's actually being fed to the God who then promises you rewards in the future, right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. If you haven't offended it. <laughs> yeah. Or someone else has an offense. It's funny. It, what you're describing now makes the term depression seem more but, appropriate but, because it's yeah. like the God is depressed. Yeah, he's depressed. <laughs> and, and, and like the thing is, is that the, the average person doing this doesn't understand these mechanisms. Right. Sure. Right. To them, this is just they've been taught since childhood about being a responsible member of our society and what it looks like, which is just piety. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that if you behave properly and you check these boxes and you do the things right, then these are the rewards that you'll get on the other end. And if you offend it, it and, and so it becomes, a, a, they become sort of religious taboos, right? Like if you tell, there are definitely people that if, if someone at my age, if I, it, you know, if you told them about that you weren't properly preparing for retirement or something, that would be something that was uh, like a violation of, of decorum, oh, yeah, of yeah. like proper behavior, yeah. right? Or if you tell them that- and it's like, irresponsible, right? You know, it's a, it becomes a moral thing. You think that's bad? Try saying you don't have health insurance. No, I know. Right, right. No, I, the, but these are like what we're witnessing when we describe these things is the way it was to live in an ancient pagan society. Like yes. that's the way their rules operated and the sacrifices that had to be given to the gods. And the power was real, right? It's not like it's fake. Well, that's why I wanted to ask. It about... really is the case that if you do these things, you'll probably get the rewards that the god promises right. you. Right. 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 And, that, and that you've already really answered the question, because I think the pushback is like, yeah, but sure, there can be this sort of mysticizing of the whole affair. But at base, it is a bunch of rationally deducible actions and consequences. Right. But the point that we've tried to make at the beginning of this is that and I'm and I'm barring I, I am bracketing the actual activity of demons. Right. Because okay. I think this is the preparation for a demon to act, which I want right. to talk about. But okay. but that appeal to the rationality 
of the process, we've kind of already said doesn't matter because the point is within the non-Christian pagan power politics that they would call divinity, religion, piety, all that yeah. stuff. Um, it can all be rational. It can all be um, yes. deducible that when I take my offering and give it to the priest, then the priest who takes a portion of that offering is then enabled to live in such a way that he has a certain excess and then can uh, bless me with a return on it. Like you can have, you can describe it rationally and say, see, I've seen through the mist of, you know, I've seen yeah, right. through this supposed sacrificial economy. There's no such thing as blessing. It's all whatever. The, the point is that in both cases, that was what we're calling religion prior to the merciful revelation of Christ. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a functional aspect to this, like that, that only the power constellations, only the economies of power, if we want to use like Foucault's language or whatever, but the gods that work exist. Mm. All right. So like, like <laughs> if they don't work, then another God displaces them, gotcha. which is what Hayek is saying. Like if we, if we reject this God, we're just going to get another one. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, or if this God stops working, like failed gods get pushed aside mm -hmm. and new gods take their place. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, this is actually Hobbes's point when he talks about the way sovereignty works in the artificial God, right? The man-made gods, which is, he's just describing how this functions. And it's like, if it fails, then that, that is the process of it being displaced by the one who doesn't. But the point is because human society is always ordered by power, there's always an operative God, mm. Right? There's always an ordering of power that does work. That's why society exists. Otherwise, you're in the throes of civil war. Gotcha. Right? So social order itself outside of Christ is, is idolatrous. Well, and it goes to the point that Hayek made, which is namely, if you, want to know, if you want to know where the God is and where the efficacious sacrifice is, look at the thing that if you don't do, society falls apart. Right. Which is what he says. That's right. He says, if you don't do this, it'll this complex destroy. society will build, we've built will be destroyed. Right, 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 right. Which is, when you think about it, insane. Like, yes. if, if you go from, there are no markets, we choose to do certain things. Oh, and he actually comes out and says, when he's talking about submission, it's within the context of saying that most people don't understand. Most people, a lot of people will be on the losing side. Like, a lot of people... Are, are are like are the the, the masses are, are heavily influenced by what the sort of elite tell them and they don't really understand and there's gonna be people and all of that yeah 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 we still have to submit mm -hmm. right we have to submit in order to get these rewards i mean that's the that's the sequence of the argument so the god is the market mm -hmm. okay he offers blessings and curses and he is propitiated by a priestly class mm -hmm. and that's our economist politicians but really anyone who uh, at any given point in time, claims to be able to mediate what the market condition, what the God desires, and how to, how to get Him to give us things. Right. Our submission, then, if this is what's essential, what is our submission? Like, if we're talking about, we live in to believe that a, He rules. Yeah. I mean, to live in that social imaginary where all is the market. Right. The market is His realm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the realm, the world is His realm, which is the market. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so one way of describing this would be the the movement from in the middle ages where there are markets mm. to the, the, our world where it, there is the market, which is everything. Yeah. Right. Like nothing falls outside of the market. I did this bit in undergrad where it was, it was a dumb bit, but whenever people would say free market, I would deliberately understand them to mean a market in which things are free, free. and then see how long <laughs> I could continue a conversation before they recognize that something was like completely off. 
Yeah. Anyways, sorry. But but I think, and I do think that submission, though, I mean, Hayek is particularly instructive here because what he does in the beginning here is he doesn't, I didn't mean to make this a talk about Hayek, but but he... You brought a book, man. I know. I was just... Like, every time you look down, it's just telling you to... Hayek. <laughs> you know, he says that... In the beginning, he says something to the effect of, you know there's all this space in our life that isn't organized by competition. And he, he, he talks very poorly about that space. So it's stuff like traditional structures and customs and things like that. And he says, he's very clear. He's like, I'm not against planning. Like all these planners that want to plan everything. I'm not against planning. I just want the best plan. And the best plan is to extend the logic of competition into as many realms as conceivable. So wherever there exists a place where human beings are not behaving in a competitive way, we need to extend that co competition into that space. That is to be an apostle to this God, right? Right. So submission to the God is to, is to allow him to convert you, right? So you're converting to his world and his world is the world of competition. Sure. So, and, and, and competition that commodifies. Yeah. So yeah. so it's not yeah. simply that. No, he like, talks about the rule of law extends all of the all of those sorts of uh, uh, impersonal forces, right? Right. So to give an, maybe an example, the 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 moment where you see a I can't even think of an example, man. It's terrible. Um, food, whatever, anything. Once a meal becomes a commodity, um, once it becomes something that that you are engaging in a market competition for who can provide the best one at the cheapest cost. Right. And that's your, like to the degree that that attitude of uh, feast of food mm -hmm. becomes real in your life is the degree to which you are a convert. Um, yeah. You're, what you're doing is internalizing. It's a, the same kind of language that we would use about conversion in Christianity, right? Yeah. You're internalizing the law of the market mm -hmm. into your own, into your own way of life, your own being. And, 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 and I think the, the sort of, um, propagators of it or, or, or apostles of it are, you know, there's different forms of entrepreneurship and there's some really good stuff. So I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate the whole thing, but there's a certain brand of it, which is that you look at, at society mm -hmm. and you look for places where there is value, where people are engaged in something that they think is important and that brings them joy and that they love. And then you look at those places and see if there's an opportunity to monetize see if there's an opportunity to, to go in and sort of change what's going there in a way in which you can scrape some of that value, some of that, that happiness out of there, mm -hmm. you know, and profit from it. Mm -hmm. And what that, the effect that that normally has is the actual destruction of the thing that you're, that you're entering into, right? So like you have these sort of absurd notions that Facebook is the obvious example that like Facebook increases friendship. But of course, what it's what it's actually done is saying, oh, look at friendship. People like friends. People like friendship. That's something that it has a lot of value there. And so that's an opportunity, right? That's a market opportunity. So we can move into that. But then what we actually what we actually give, what we actually do when we commodify and monetize it is is the destruction of friendship. Right. Right. That's how you scrape it. Mm -hmm. But that is the extension of competition. Um, of, of this market into those realms, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. where, where it doesn't currently hold sway. And that's the comp, the competition of the gods, right? So there's, there's, there are, there can be, it's not like all of those realms are good, right? There's, there's, 
uh, abusive patriarchal family structures and there's tribal things that could be evil and there's all kinds of non-market power structures that could be very bad and throughout most of human society there has both been not the market structure and bad ones right and so the extension of the market it, the warring of those gods can just it's just a sort of warring of pagan gods mm. you know the christian god is the one who comes and undoes all of it the whole conflict right 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 but that's the one thing that the, 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 the apostles of the market just don't acknowledge that the Christian God is real, hmm. right? Because they can't accept, you know, the, 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 the assertion that charity is real or that, that, that love is real, that, that gift giving is a real phenomenon undermines the logic of the market, obviously. Right. You know. So the God is the market. The economists are the priests anyone who interprets its will as a priest. Right. Um, our submission to the God, which constitutes our piety, um, is the degree to which we exchange real goods, um, things that actually make us happy and which we have into scarce commodities, um, which are held in competition and which can be monetized. Or which monetized. That's one of the ways, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I there's... mean, there's so many things. I mean, you think about the, the regime of... Like, you know, getting good grades and going to college so you can get a degree, so you can get a good job. And at no point is it about education or about bettering yourself, right? Like, that's not the discourse. The discourse is like, these are the things you have to do. And that involves like borrowing a bunch of money yeah. and all. And, and, but these are the things you do in order to get admittance into this higher level of service. Right. Right. And then, uh, and then you'll get rewards for that. Right. Now, most people are doing those things automatically. I mean, that, those are devotional. Mm hmm. Right, I'm devoting my life to th to this pursuit, and that involves all these disciplines, right? That I'll develop. Oh, totally! Like it takes way more work to be like a careerist than it does to be, you know, actually yeah. good at something. Right, right. <laughs> no, to... and there's all the books about how yeah. to do it and how to cultivate your your personality traits in order to better maximize yeah. your service to the market. Have you ever met some? This is maybe me, but have you ever met someone that has so excelled at something? on the terms that the market gives it that their actual content doesn't even matter it's like what are they selling it's yeah. like you don't even know anymore they're selling like a brand by which they just right, mean right. like them well that's the termination of it isn't it is that the brands you're just selling brands right right it is definitely okay so which maybe takes us to consumerism it does take us to consumerism yeah so so when when the popes say that we live in a consumerist society are they saying something distinct from what we've been talking about I mean, I think when John Paul II in particular moves to, into a discussions of consumerism, he's doing this because the word capitalism has become so uh, historically laden mm. through the Cold War and everything because the Marxists are bad and the capitalists, you know, that he's trying to shift the same sort of basic discussion that, that in a previous era would have been more directly targeted, just liberalism. Mm into what's wrong with liberalism and mm -hmm. the thing that's wrong with it is consumerism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and so we're going to relabel it yeah. and it, and 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 really what you had then is just the sort of um end game of liberalism or the sort of like like it was visible what the consequences of liberalism was as it descends into ever more as that sort of expansion of the competitive realm is is realized into ever more aspects of human life then it's like, oh man, this is something's really wrong here. Let's yeah. call it consumerism. What's what's so bad about consumerism? I mean, gotta eat, gotta consume. Yeah. Gotta 
Gotta live in a house and wear it down. Yeah, I mean, but consumerism is, is I mean, how are we going to define it? I mean, it's like, it's the idea that all of your interaction is about taking and not about giving, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so in a, in a, in a, in a Christian perspective, eating, having a house, all of those things, those are all things that you must do. Um, and they're good things to do, but they're ultimately about facilitating your service to others. Right. Yeah. Being for the common good, being for the common good and, and the good of your own family for the common good, all these sorts of things. And, and, and part of being for the common good is also being the recipient of gift. Right. right. So like you're also receiving gift and that's, you know, other people are feeding you basically, but Consumerism is just is just the denial, uh, so like the reduction of our behavior to the taking, right? And so the taking itself becomes the thing we're doing, yeah, right. So this is the whole, you know, you 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 take, you consume, you discard, you take again because mm-hmm. it, the taking itself is the action. So like the enjoying the thing, I mean, it, it starts losing its enjoyment as soon as soon as you have it, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I I remember. I was working for a software company and, and I, it, there was, there's this idea of sort of, um, you know, the new versions had to come out all the time. And, and one of the, the things that the marketing people used to actually just say was like, you know, we used to, sometimes people would have voiced an objection. Like, aren't people going to be annoyed that they just bought this and it's already a, a obsolete. And they're like, no, no, they can't wait until it's obsolete. Mm-hmm. Like when they see that it's obsolete, that excites them. Cause that means they get to buy the new one mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a justification to get rid of the old one. Right. And that's consumerism, right? And, and consumerism is the is the ritual aspect that makes the that keeps the market god alive in this sense, right? Because it's it just not, grows him. Well, right, because so you're de, you're defining it as that you're you're making it synonymous with that conversion mm-hmm. um, of the soul to believe that real goods should be scarce commodities instead, right? Um, and and that the sphere of competition is pervasive ubiquitous throughout right, right. throughout all of life so but consumerism is also tied i think to that idea that the god is the one who keeps the society from collapsing like without whom there's no structural unity because the whole reason we're a consumerist culture is not simply because oh you know you're greedy and you want more and you never have enough it's an actual structural recognition that if we do not have constant buying and selling within a world in which we are we have structured livelihood on the basis of people buying and selling to not buy and sell beyond your necessity would destroy the economy i mean we saw this with you would COVID, kill the god right but you sorry what we saw this with the whole covid shutdown right. stuff exactly where you started to see some of that where it's like well no, no material is actually destroyed like the wealth is all here right the actual real wealth mm-hmm. so what is actually collapsing mm-hmm. yeah right right and, and it's funny too because like we for many people you know your dependence on money became very revealed mm-hmm. right after covid and like oh i'm not working my job and that's real because the, the world that money is built is real but but what was weird is like we were kind of all fine at the same time. Right. And I'm not trying to diminish like the actual problems that come with not having a job. I just mean that it's not the case that when we talk about consumption, we're talking about like the consumption we need to do to live. Um, we're talking about the need for the God to live. Right. So we consume for ourselves and for others mm-hmm. in order to be servants to others. But the God needs excess mm-hmm. in order to survive. So he needs 
Uh, I'm speaking in this way. Now I feel like an idolater. <laughs> the market to exist as this illusion that needs people to not simply consume what is necessary, but to constantly consume new mass-produced goods. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they and the, the economists, the, the the priests of the god, know this. Right. Of course. I mean, they talk about things like consumer confidence and stuff like that, or mm. or credit increase in in credit. Like so, credit card borrowing as you come into the uh, into the holidays and things are, are signs of economic health mm. right it's like oh the people are buying more mm -hmm. right they're spending they're spending that's going to make the god happy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right that's what he's asking for they're giving it good good people <laughs> right i mean that's the way they talk about it you listen to the radio and stuff that's like the way you talk about it yeah and like and like you not doing that would be kind of tempting. like hoarding right. like saving like like you know, it's like, why don't you put that money to use? Why don't you get it back out there? I mean, it becomes it becomes yeah. a, a an act of of antisocial behavior. Well, I, I hear this more when it comes to investing. Yeah. So when investing, I say like right. I don't like to invest in things because it seems wrong. Yeah. People say like, why don't you want your money to work for you? Like they say it's these like, things like that deliberately obscure the process of what's happening. Right. It's such a weird thing to even say when you stop to think about I it. I know. Isn't it? <laughs> it's like work for me. Yeah. It's just out there. Being what is it good? doing? <laughs> I don't know. Same, same thing. Digging holes. Same thing your dead goat was doing when you cut its throat, I guess. I don't know. Okay, but the humor aside here, the um, the necessity to consume is obviously upon us. Couldn't someone just say um, something like, well, we really do live in a consumer society. It's it's real. Like if we don't consume at a rate that is excessive of our necessities for life and sort of particular happiness, then the world will become a bad place. People will lose jobs. Mm -hmm. Things will stop being funded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean that's why Hayek's right when he says this 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 society of this complexity and scale will collapse if we stop honoring this God. It's like that's right. So is there a way? I mean, to... the, the, it's real, right? That's why the power. Like the power isn't fake, right? Right, but the realization is it's like when it's like the biblical the, when when the pro, when a prophet will just say like kick it over and go, it, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a piece of painted wood, right? Yeah. Is that is the realization that it doesn't have to be that way, right? That it's not that the power's not real; it's that the power you're capable of being overcome. We can overcome that power. We don't have to be a slave to it, right? Right. right? That I mean, that's the decisive insight. I think that's the Christian. That's the that's the Christian move. Is there, yeah, so there's really no way to oppose consumerism as a Christian without saying that you want the destruction of the society to some extent. Yeah, I mean, you got to be careful about about going too far with what is to be destroyed. Sure. Like the destruction of the God, 100%. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. But the destruction of, that's not the same as saying the destruction of like hardworking small business sure. and like being productive and uh, working for the common good mm -hmm. and what, you know, all the sort of things that, that most people, most well-meaning people who, who think that capitalism is the, is the right way to be most well-meaning Christians. When they say that they are actually talking about those types of things. Mm -hmm. Right. Totally. And it's like, yeah, I agree with all of that. Right. Like that's right. And private property and the caring for your family and, you know, working hard for the good of society as a whole providing value to your customers great yeah you know what i mean yeah that stuff's all good Absolutely. so when you say destroy you got to be careful yeah 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 
break the idols. Yes, break That's the idols. Thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the um, you said something really interesting that the consumption itself doesn't really seem to have a point. Yeah. And that that fact seems to be related to the religious character of the society. It, it, yeah, I think so, that's right. Yeah, I, and I hate to introduce the topic so inorganically. I was like ready to like tease it into the conversation, but I don't know how. So tell me about that. So, you know, you can talk about consumerism, talk about the, the, the idolatrous nature of the market and those sorts of things, and then say, okay, so there's these, who's, I mean, the question is then who's profiting from it mm -hmm. and why? Mm -hmm. And you start getting into problems because you start going oh well I, I, like what the rich people it's like okay i guess but they're only profiting within the consumerist economy right like what i mean is they have the ability to consume more right i mean they don't seem there doesn't seem to be a motive beyond that mm -hmm. and then insofar right. as they're consuming more they're as much sub submitting to submitting to it as, as everyone else is it, right yeah. and so and so you have this kind of circular problem where it's like, well, why is it happening then? Right? Like who, and, and, and you can get, you know, who, who's driving it and why. And, and I think that that's when you start getting maybe to where you got to move, say, okay, there are people, there are forces in play who are not after consumption, but are after just power. Right. And, and, and the extension of consumption and the consumerist economy deeper and deeper into more and more aspects of our life is an extension of their power. But then you were, then you just, it's like pushing the, it's like pushing the problem one, one step further. Cause it's like, well, why do they want power? Right. And what is the, power for? If the answer is to be able to consume more things, then uh, that, that doesn't get you anywhere. That doesn't contributing get you anywhere. To right. The, right. To the power. Right. Or even, or even to like exercise your will, because at some point it's like, well, you know, you can get whatever you want. And, and you don't need to be Jeff Bezos, you know, so what's he doing? Like, why has he gone beyond the, I can have whatever I want. Right. I can basically buy whoever I want. I can, you know, like what, what possibly could he not do at this point? Exactly. Yeah. And to simply say like, well, it's so you can have more expensive things is ridiculous when you're looking at a world in which like that we don't have things expensive enough for him. <laughs> yeah. So what, what <laughs> is going on? And this is, this is a, a really this is, I think, a very theological question and a very hard one, right? Because I, I, I think, and I think Hobbes actually gets at this a bit because he starts talking about this as a god. It, it, it's so something that has a will, the sovereign acts, but it's not the king, right? It's this conglomeration and it's doing things. But this is where I do think that that, that pursuit of power itself within the system is maybe the, 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 the place to go. And there we're getting the closest to just straight up um, devil devil worship or d demonic influence or something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like power for power's sake, mm -hmm. right? Just, just the, uh, you know, no end. There's no end to the power. It's just power to have power, right. but for nothing. Right. Which is another way of saying, like when we look at the for nothing aspect of the human behavior, it's another way of saying like it doesn't have a justification in itself. So the move to the demonic is to say the demons have a reason, right? But do they though? Isn't aren't they just in rebellion? I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's a proximate reason, which is, which is to drive as many souls as possible to perdition. Right. The, I mean, the, the ultimate end is a little confusing, like sure. what, how, how they think their end game is going to work out. But, yeah. But the, uh, 
but there is at least an end when it comes to human beings. But th- th- that that's fascinating because it, it links to what you just said about the destruction of places of value, right? Mm-hmm. So so you described it as as when we let the market into another place, another dinner, another home, another family, and it becomes the the kind of motivating principles by which those things operate. Um, we achieve profit, we achieve money, we monetize it, but the thing itself becomes destroyed. Mm-hmm. Facebook destroys friendships, cars destroy travel. That's controversial. But yeah. No. Um, so that destruction mm-hmm. then um, and replaces it. It replaces it with a with a insufficient artificial substitute. Right. Right. That's not good enough, but we take it because we're sinful. Exactly. Which is insane. But then what it points to is that there is a inhuman goal um, that no one intends, right? So what I right. mean is, no one, no one says like, I want to destroy the family. Uh, I want to de- well, let's make a, the example. I, I want to destroy friendship. How should I do it? Let's make Facebook. Right. right? Yeah. No, you say I want money so that I can consume. So you're within the religion. Right. Right. I want to be a good, really a good follower of the God, a successful follower of the God. I want right. to get the market. And get the goods. rewards that He'll promises me. Exactly. Yeah. So I, right. I am being pious. I invent Facebook because I'm right. pious. Okay. Right. But the consequence of my action is the destruction right. um, of a real good, which would, which you, since you cannot, this is why I think it's a, it's a reasonable, is a reasonable jump to discuss the influence of demons, mm-hmm. because when you have this repeated effect that can't be um, ascribed to human intention, right? Right. But is always the destruction of real human goods to posit the intention of an enemy of humanity, Right. right. No, I think One that's who right. Wants yeah. to destroy it dehumanizes right. us. And at the very least, and then I mean, look at look at let's just look at like Hayek actually juxtapositions submission to impersonal forces, impersonal and seemingly irrational forces as better than being subject to the power of other men. Yeah. Which to me just seems obviously to not be true. Like I would rather be under the power of man men qua men and me as a man than under some sort of impersonal and irrational force right Right? so but that's that dehumanizing thing that the very dehumanizing thing that you're talking about well and it's yeah it's wild because you know the the scriptural revelation is that there's only like there's only really one enemy of humanity that's right and so when you arrive at a sacrificial religious system which consistently destroys human goods and replaces them with cheap substitutes, but no one within that intends for the destruction. I mean, it's a small jump if it's a jump. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, and <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I can foresee an objection. Um, Saint Augustine already went through all this, by yeah, the way. Right. <laughs> I, I can foresee a kind of objection, um, which is something like this. It's maybe more of a of a feeling that, um that all of this could just equally be described sort of without introducing um, the influence of demons, right? Like, so like this could just be a consequence that we keep on falling into and we keep on trying to monetize, trying to consume and become happy as a result and it doesn't work, but we end up with greater, what, GDP and somehow when we look at the GDP rising, even though we're not happy, we think... That we're happy. Maybe if it rises a little bit more, this time we'll get happy. <laughs> we're going to get happy. <laughs> um, but what I want to talk about is really, really quickly is Aquinas's teaching on the way in which demons are efficacious. Because I think often as moderns, we say, okay, once I see 
like something supernatural that could not be explained by this sort of human air, this human ritualized air. Um, Then when I see that magic moment, then I'll say, okay, a a demon's here. Like something, something other is acting. But that's interestingly not what Aquinas says. He says that um, the demons are, he calls them the completive cause of idolatry. And what he means by that is a demon can't just like, you're just in a desert and you pass a rock and the demon's like, I'm going to get this guy good. And he like Makes enters into the rock and it speaks and you're like, whoa, it's a God. And then your <laughs> life is ruined, right? right? No, they don't have that kind of power because right. they're not God. Right. Um, but what a demon must have is what Aquinas calls the dispositive cause of idolatry, which is disordered human affection. So in short, what it means is the person would already have to be looking at the rock with a disordered affection, believing the rock to produce something that it can't. So a, right. a cause or an effect divorced from its cause is, is what he says. Mm. Once you have that disordered affection, that disordered state, that, that idolatrous state, mm-hmm. then it becomes possible, right, for the demon to respond to essentially your invitation. Right, exactly. Um, so, so it's an important distinction because when we talk about the... Yeah, ultimately we're doing it to ourselves. Right, exactly. But right. my point is that to say we're doing it to ourselves does not negate. In fact, it is the necessary cause of the capacity for demons That's right. yeah. to do it to us as well. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, we, it totally obliterates this distinction where, where people get so prideful about it, where they're like, oh, I've actually seen how this is just a, uh, a mechanism of, of human hands. So, you know, right. sorry about your like weird Catholic lady thing where you have to, uh, I said Catholic lady, church lady thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, where you have to like make everything really about demons and angels and God when really it's just a a weird, you know, forces within the world that I can explain. It's like, no, it's precisely the, to the degree that, that people are subservient to something they believe to be efficacious in a way that it is not right. Right. That market idea that somehow transcends all of its individual actors, Mm -hmm. you know, that is what is required for a demon to become the market. Right. Like yeah, in the yeah. sense of appear as the market. Right. 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 Like, like that's, I mean, really that's demonology 101. And I think that we get, we get this feeling of security because of what Charles Taylor talks about. Like, oh, well we live in the secular age. So yeah, right. we've got yeah, problems. Yeah. It's evil. We've banished all the spirits. But the spirits are gone. Right. Spirits are gone. Don't worry about them. Right. But when you kind of read it with this framework, it's like, no, it, you couldn't even get a spirit unless you first became the kind of people you're becoming. You have to be, um, you have to be enslaved to power uh, and to have that relationship of slavery in order for a demon to be efficacious at all, you know, which is maybe just another way of, it's a, it's the negative way of saying that the Christian doesn't need to be afraid actually. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yep. Because, you know, we can look at this entire system, see the demon, um, and then not do the things that create the disordered affection that makes the demon efficacious in the first place. Right. And in doing so, um, <laughs> we, we make the market less effective too, actually. <laughs> but that's just at some point to say the same thing. No, that's great. That's a, that's a very, very helpful discussion there, I think. Yeah, it goes to that. It goes to that division between the natural and the supernatural, where we want it to be one or the other, you know. Yeah. And not understanding that no, they're always. Oh yeah. 
they're always together. Oh yeah, totally. And I, and I just think, man, Aquinas got that. I mean, he's yeah. a, just a fanboy him because, you know, it's kind of a Catholic meme at that point, but, right, right. but he really got it. So it's appropriate that Black Friday is Black Friday because it's, it's, it's I'm hearing. It, 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 it comes at, uh, or, or it kind of harkens to like black masses and things like right. that. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's where we can kind of close off on that. Like we, okay. So within Black Friday, there's a sort of, um, a festival as it were of the consumption, right? So it's a moment in which sort of forces people say, Hey, all that consumption that you kind of feel bad about today. Today, you don't have to feel bad today. You're saving money doing it. It's what the day is for. Exactly. It's brilliant. It's a tradition. (laughs) (laughs) And in that sense, it's totally, um, it's, it shows the degree to which our culture in particular is just dependent on, on that Christian memory, um, Mm -hmm. that weirdly kind of upholds the new God of the market, right? Like we need our festivals. We need our feast days, our calendar. We need, um, like we need this religious ritual in order for the whole thing to be efficacious. And because Christianity is our patrimony, it's like precisely a perversion of Christianity. Um, that lets us live as this new kind of pagan. Like, no, that's right. Yeah. It's always, it's always parasitic on the good. The mm, uh, evil yeah, is right. Yeah. So it's like, it, that's why it's, it's, it's easy to get sucked into a really pessimistic read of, of us, but that's, that's a mistake because this God, this parasite is preying upon what is good mm-hmm. in us, right? Like Facebook preys upon friendship. It's like, oh, that, that's the way it all works. Like it's searching for good and it's, it's, it's pursuing it. And it, it requires the good. And there is a lot of goodness, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a lot of it. Like the, the reason, the, it's, like, it's like I've said a million times, but I just stand by it. It's like, it's like, you know, people will talk endlessly about the profit motive. And it's like, yeah, but in actual fact, the vast majority of people are getting up every day and leaving their house and going to work as, for, because of love of their family, not because of the profit motive. Right. And the profit motive is actually secondary. Love is what's primary. And the profit motive and all the, the whole economic system that rests on that is, is, is parasitic on the love that actually motivates the father to get up every day and to go to a work, a job he doesn't like. Right. Like that's love, not, not profit motive. And that's the way the whole thing works. Right. Like that's the way evil works. Is it, is it, it, it can't affect anything outside of, of, of the good. Right. Mm-hmm of a perversion of the good or twisting of it. Yeah. So all that is to say there's an immense amount of goodness and maybe it's appropriate that Black Friday then the just the, the sort of event for it is Thanksgiving is you know Thanksgiving comes right before and Thanksgiving has been strangely immune to itself being commercialized, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like when we decided to commercialize Thanksgiving the way we did it was doing it the next day. Right. Right. Not actual like not Thanksgiving. It's almost like Black Friday is a reparation. Like it's yeah. a ritual of reparation. It's like for a, it's like an act of reparation, right? Yeah. Sorry that we all enjoyed our families and and didn't buy anything, didn't buy anything. for a whole day. Yeah, and it's and it's actually fascinating because it revolves around a feast, right? Which is consumed by the people. Yeah. So like the Jewish law had this thing where you had to eat the food there, and it's like it's it's anti-consumerist in a in a really profound sense. It's right. like the good is there, and then it is given, and mm-hmm. then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to stop to stop as any. Um, I hope that, I hope that Kavanaugh has a really good Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> Me too. I, you know, I hope he's just having a blast. I haven't met the guy, but I am grateful for him cracking open the, uh, 
the illusions of, of uh, idolatry here and, and letting us call things what they are. Um, yeah. So this has been a great time. Andrew, thanks so much. Thanks, Mark. All right. Keep on uh, listening to New Polity Podcast. We try to get them out with some something like regularity. Uh, as we mentioned, this article is in issue three of New Polity Magazine. You can subscribe or you can buy a single issue. Um, and yeah, just follow us at newpolity.com for all of our what thoughts, feelings, <laughs> emotions. It's all there, baby. <laughs> all right. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.